systems, and I, I'm grateful that we have public servants that keep everything working well and keep us all safe. And um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. We enjoy so many different opportunities as individuals here, citizens of the United States, of this great nation. But at that moment when I read the letter from the IRS saying that I owed over $400, I have to tell you that I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't overjoyed to contribute to this great nation that I love. Um, I, was, I was quite upset. Because I knew that I had to do it or else things would get worse. Like if I didn't pay those taxes, it would eventually catch up to me and things could compound to the point where I wished, man, I wish I would have just paid those, those $400. I knew I had to pay it or things would get worse. Giving because we have to, it's a horrible experience. And unfortunately, many people in church have experienced that. They, they've had experiences where they feel like they have to give. As if we're giving money to God's work as a type of divine tax. It's, it's required of us. And so we have to do it. Sometimes to make ourselves feel better, we'll, we'll tell ourselves things like, well, God's been good to me, and so I, I should do this. It's, it's my Christian duty, and so, well, I, I, I probably, yeah, I, I should probably do it. But no matter how we might feel about it, when we give because we have to, the experience of joy is just, it cannot be there. It's, 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 not, it's not good. When we give because we have to, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes all about us. Now, if you've ever been in that place where you gave because you have to, it's, it's, a, it's a tough place, right? Because it's not like you're going to be able to keep that from God. It's like, God's going to know. And if you feel like you have to give because of it's some kind of divine tax that's, that's levied upon us, then if we don't give, chances are things are going to get worse. It's, it's really a horrible experience. Well, if you know what it's like to have to give, maybe it's having to give time or having to give money or having to give uh, of your resources, your energy in some way, I'm happy to tell you that that's not God's plan for our life. And God, in, his, in the Bible, he, he tells us how we can be free from this horrible experience of giving because we have to. Well, if you're just joining us, recently we've been talking about stewardship. We're in a series of sermons that we're calling, um, and I'll try to put it up there. If I could get you to advance the next slide, this isn't working. Thank you. Uh, we're calling it Welcoming Abundance. And the idea is that we're looking at the principles from the Bible that talk about how we can welcome the abundance that God wants to give to us. It's, it's God's abundance that we're talking about here. And so we've been looking at these principles of prosperity that God wants us to have. Last week, uh, Dr. George Knight, he spoke on the principle of reaping what you sow. If you missed that, you can go to our website and, and click on the media there and, 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 and watch that. And how, how important it is to give abundantly to bless others, because when we give abundantly to bless others, we reap abundantly as well. Next week, Dr. Ken Haugen uh, is going to be talking about God's need of resources. It's going to be a, a powerful message, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and so here I am speaking between the two doctors, and um, it's my chance to talk about um, this message this morning 
of, why, of how we give. What are our motives in giving? So I'd like to look at what the Bible has to say about how to give and what to do when giving feels like something that we have to do. It's something that we don't want to. So the title of the message this morning is Wanting to Give. And before we get into the Bible, I'd like to just pray here. Heavenly Father, I pray that our hearts would be open. You're a giving God, and you know that we're a needy people. And so I pray that we would honestly recognize that and be willing to receive what you have for us. Thank you that you only give that which is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in the Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. If you remember last week, uh, Dr. George Knight spoke on verse 6, and so we're going to continue here, uh, focusing especially in verse 7. If you want to look in the Pew Bible, it's page 1163, um, or you can use any Bible that you have available to you. That's fine. At the time that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, the Christians in Jerusalem, so he's writing to Corinth, this is way outside of Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem, they needed financial help. They were in a time of desperate need. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what was going on, but there were probably several reasons contributing to the need of the Christian church in Jerusalem. During the first century, many Jews in Jerusalem depended on support outside of Palestine. It was just kind of a thing. Many Jews in, in the city of Jerusalem were, were poor, and so in order to survive, they needed to have people giving to them from outside of, of Palestine, and so they were dependent upon that. But as these contributions came in to support the poor people in Jerusalem, those contributions were not given to everyone. They were only given to Jews, and they were not given to Christian Jews. If you were a Jew, but you were a Christian during this time, you would have received none of that support. In fact, the Jews, the Jewish leadership, just as they were antagonistic towards Jesus, they were also antagonistic towards his followers. They persecuted Jews. They were actively against the Jew, uh, Jewish Christians. And so these Jewish Christians suffered. It was a difficult time to be a Jewish Christian in Jerusalem. Work was not given. Support was not given. They were basically left on their own. After the day of Pentecost, the church pooled their resources, and perhaps you're familiar with these verses in the book of Acts that talk about what happened after the Holy Spirit was poured out. There was this amazing spirit of generosity and this coming together where the followers of Jesus were selling property, they were sharing the, the abundance that they had with one another, and they pooled all their resources together so everyone's needs were met. But they could only do that for so long. You can only sell a property once. You can only you know, give the, the resources like that once. And so as the properties were sold, perhaps the aftermath of all of this giving and sharing was that people had nothing left and they had nothing to live on. That could have been another thing contributing to the need. Maybe there was famine. That's another potential that was, that was exacerbating the need of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Um, whatever the reason was, though, we know that the need was legitimate. We know that it was dire, 
And Paul wanted to meet that need. Paul had a desire in his heart to meet this need, not only because he cared about people. He cared about his, his fellow Jews. He, he especially cared about the, the Christians in, in Jerusalem. But he also cared about God's reputation. In first century Rome, it was the common practice for religious groups to take care of their own. Greek religious brotherhoods would make sure that if there was someone in their circle, in their community, where they had need, where they were poor, there was was some kind of desperate need there, they would take care of them. Even the pagans did this. Of course, we just talked about the, the Jews taking care of their own. And so Paul had this sense that he wanted to take care of the Christians. I mean, what would it say about God if the pagan religions were outdoing the Christians and taking care of their own? I'm sure that was weighing on Paul's heart. He, he cared for God's reputation. He knew that God would be misrepresented if the, the Christians in Rome were not adequately cared for. So to provide for them, Paul went to Christians outside of Jerusalem, and and he told them about the need taking place in Jerusalem. And and his desire was that there be a generous one-time gift offered to the church in Jerusalem. Now, prior to writing this letter of 2 Corinthians that we're about to read in just a second, uh, prior to writing this letter, Paul had asked the Christians in Corinth to give generously. He told them about the need. They were aware of what was going on, and it stirred them in their hearts. They, they were like, these are our, our brothers and our sisters. We want to help them. They, they had this desire to help. They wanted to help. In fact, they even made promises. Paul talks about that in his letter in 2 Corinthians. They promised that they would give. But the time was running out to send this big gift. The, the brothers were, were coming together to, to gather, to collect this gift, this collection that was supposed to be in place. The time was running out for collecting this gift, and still the people in Corinth had not acted, <clears throat> excuse me, they had not acted on their promise. So in verse 7, notice how Paul encourages them to give. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. <coughs> Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. Notice that the Bible is saying there's something more important than merely giving. God is not just concerned that we merely give. He says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, Give because you want to. Early in chapter 9, Paul says that he's been boasting about the generosity of the people in Corinth, of the Christians in Corinth. In fact, in, in, another, in another location in Macedonia, there were some Christians that were living there that were in extreme poverty, the Bible tells us. And Paul was boasting to this group of Christians in Macedonia. He was saying, you got to hear about the commitment of the Christians in Corinth to help the need 
in Jerusalem. You've got to hear about the. I mean, they, they are so committed. They are so generous. They are planning on giving a huge gift. And Paul boasted about the Corinthians so much that these Macedonian Christians that were in extreme poverty gave a large gift. They had already done it. After all that Paul had said, if the Christians in Corinth did not deliver on their promises, he's going to look really bad. He's going to look foolish. I mean, you can feel the, the tension. You can feel the pressure that Paul is, is experiencing as you read the letter of 2 Corinthians. He's, he's under pressure to make sure that this happens. Yes, there's a need, but he's got his name out there. He's got his word on the line. Corinth is full of generous Christians, and now if they don't give, he's going to look like a fool. I can't imagine the stress that, that Paul is under between the large gift of these Christians in Macedonia that were in extreme poverty and the great need in Jerusalem. And here he is. Come on, you guys in Corinth. It's, it's time. Remember, just, just give what you decided to give. He's encouraging them. Give what's in your heart. But even though Paul was under pressure to encourage the people of Corinth to give after all the boasting that he had done, He is more concerned, I think this is really significant, he is more concerned with how the Christians in Corinth gave. He's not just saying, hey, just give, let's let's just get this done. I mean, after all, I boasted about you. I I, I endorsed your generosity. He's saying, no, it's more important as to how you give. How you give, because the reason here in verse 7 is God loves a cheerful giver. Well, to keep them from giving because they have to, he says in verse 7, give what you have decided to give in your heart. Remember that desire that you had when you, when you saw the need and, and you said, yeah, I'm going to promise to give. Go back there. Give what you've already decided to give in your heart. In other words, Paul recognized that they had good intentions. And good intentions are wonderful. I mean, good intentions are the beginning of many wonderful things, but good intentions without action is worthless. Suppose for a moment that a student plans to graduate with a college degree. And she's got great plans. She's going to do this right. She has plans to get straight A's. She's going to get a 4.0. She plans to study every night. She's not going to waste her time. She's going to be diligent and going to all of her classes and taking notes. She's going to write great papers. She's going to do all the assignments and complete the work on time. But somehow, even though she has all these desires and all these great plans, somehow she just doesn't get around to doing any of these things. Now, she's sincere. She felt it in her heart. She wants to do these things, but she just doesn't get around to doing it. What college I know no Adventist college would do this. What college would say, you know, as long as you meant to, as long as you meant to learn the material, as long as you meant to do all the assignments and master the content, as long as you meant to do it, we'll just count it good. Go ahead and graduate. Here's your diploma. Congratulations. What would that diploma be worth? It would be worth absolutely nothing. It would be worthless. Why? A degree, that degree would be worthless because without action, a student doesn't learn. And the same thing is true for people. Without action, 
a person doesn't love. Like you can't love with just good intentions. And so Paul is saying, give, follow through. You have these desires. You see the need and your, your heart is touched by that. Now it's time to follow through. Yes, it's wonderful to have those intentions, but unless there's follow through, it's worthless because intentions without action is not, love cannot exist without action. In order for love to be love, the intentions must be expressed in acts. That's what Paul's encouraging us to do. All around us, there are big needs. You see it in church, you see it in your neighborhood, you see it in in the community, all around the world. There are big needs. And chances are, if you're a follower of Jesus, your heart's going to be touched. You're going to see these needs. You're going to want to do something about it. See all these things. You see people suffering. You see things that could change for the better. This is important to see these needs. This is important to feel those needs. But these needs require action. They require us to give financially. They require us to give of our time and to give of our effort. They require us to get involved. But God is not merely interested in us just giving to meet these needs. He wants us to give cheerfully. There's more to it than just giving. He doesn't just want your money. He doesn't just want your time. He wants you to give cheerfully. He wants this experience to happen in our lives. Now, if giving to God's work was like paying taxes, it wouldn't matter how we give. The government does not audit how you feel when you submit your taxes. If you give with hatred in your heart, with jaw clenched and maybe fist raised in the air, as long as you write the check or whatever, submit the money, they're happy. That's okay. They're still going to take your money even if you give it out of spite. Thankfully, God is different. He's more interested in you than he is interested in how much you give or what you give. He wants us to be happy But in order for us to experience happiness, the interesting thing is we have to give. There's something inside of us that that God has created us to want to experience love. There's a reason there's so many songs that are on that theme. There's a desire in every human heart to experience real love. And real love cannot be experienced without giving. Giving is the essence of this experience of love. Um, perhaps you've been to a party before that you didn't want to be at. I don't know if you can relate to this experience. Um, someone invites you to a party, you don't want to go there, and you're probably not looking like this, but maybe, maybe you put a nice, but inside perhaps it's like that. You, you brought a gift because you kind of knew you had to. Maybe you didn't really like the person, but you felt obligated to show up. You had a lot of other things that you rather would have been doing with your afternoon time, but you're there. When the person throwing a party is someone that you're not really attracted to or someone that you don't really like, it can be an awful experience. But if the party is being thrown by someone that you really, really like, someone that you think really highly of, 
someone that you really value. When you get an invitation to that person's party, it's a completely different experience, right? Like you don't think about, oh, it's such a terrible thing to spend the afternoon with that person. You don't think about, oh, I've got to sacrifice to, to give a gift. If that person is someone that you really like and you really want to spend time with them and it really does something for you to be around this person, you're going to want to be there. You're going to want to give of your time. The experience is completely different when it's someone you really like. When God invites us to give, God is inviting us to be with him. And consider how likable God is. He is a good God. He is a generous God. He has all resources, and he invites us to be with him. He's calling us to be with him because giving is what God is all about. It bears reminding you of this famous verse, God so loved the world that he gave. This is what kind of God God is. He loves the world, which means he loves those who don't respond to him as well as those who do. The world includes everyone. It includes cheerful givers. It includes not-so-cheerful givers. It includes people who don't want to give, people who resist giving. It includes everyone. God so loved the world that he gave. Our stubbornness, our um, lack of desire to give doesn't turn him away. It doesn't keep him from giving. God gives because he loves. God is a giver. He is the example. He is the epitome of what a cheerful giver looks like. Jesus came to this world to show us what it looks like to be a cheerful giver. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he wasn't obligated to do that. He didn't do it because he was under compulsion Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a human being because he wanted to. Throughout Jesus' life here on earth, he gave in every way possible. He gave daily to those around him, whether it was teaching, whether it was healing, whether it was encouraging. Why did he do that? Because someone made him? Because God twisted his arm? No, he did that because he wanted to. Jesus even went to the cross because he wanted to. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 gives us an insight as to what was happening in Jesus' heart when he was going to the cross. Now, he was a human being, okay? I mean, this whole experience of the cross was horrible. I'm sure he wasn't smiling. I'm sure he was under excruciating pain. He felt that, but look at what was in his heart. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer. Some versions say the author, the one who writes it out, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For, for, the, for the, what does it say? The joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what was in the heart of Jesus in the whole cross experience. There was joy that was set before him. It was a joyful experience. Jesus gave cheerfully his entire life for the good of humanity on the cross. How was he able to do that? Is it, was it because he was thinking about himself? No, look at what it says. The joy that was, that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Where did the joy come from? 
It came from the knowledge that his gift gave salvation to you and I. This is where cheerful giving comes from. Cheerful giving does not come from being self-absorbed, from focusing on ourselves. Jesus shows us the way to cheerful giving. He was even able to give cheerfully through the excruciating experience of the cross because he had you and I in his mind. He was giving for others. This is the heart of cheerful giving. It's giving to other people. Timothy Keller in his book, Prodigal God, which is a wonderful book, I recommend it to you, Um, But in his book, he tells uh, a story about a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And as he harvested this carrot, he thought to himself, I have never grown a carrot so big. And I know that I'm never going to grow another carrot this big. And what came into his mind was, I want to give this to the king. So he went to the king of the land and he said, your majesty, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown. It's the greatest carrot I ever will grow. And I present it to you. I want to give it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. And this gardener was so happy that he had such an incredible prize carrot that he was able to give his best to the king. He was a cheerful giver. He was so happy because he loved the king. It was out of of love and respect for the king that he gave this carrot. And so he left it there before the king and walked away happy. And as he was walking out of of the, the throne room there, the king said, wait, 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 wait. Anyone that can grow a carrot this big is clearly a good steward of the ground. I happen to know that my garden plot is right next to yours. I freely give it to you for you to cultivate it. It's yours. He was very surprised by that. And, and very glad. Well, there was another person in the court that day, a nobleman, and he thought to himself, if that's what the gardener got for a carrot, I wonder what I could get if I gave something bigger. This nobleman raised horses, and he had this beautiful prize black stallion, and he thought to himself, I know what I'm going to do. And so he goes, and he gets this black stallion, and he brings it before the king, and the king is impressed. Wow, here's this incredible animal. And he says, oh, king, this is the, I raise horses, king, and this is the greatest horse I have ever raised, and it's the greatest horse I ever will raise, and I present it to you, oh, king. Out of love and respect for you, I give it to you. Well, the wise king discerned his motives, and he said, okay, thank you very much. You may be dismissed. And the nobleman was kind of perplexed. He was thinking, well, the gardener got a whole plot of land for a carrot. I gave my stallion, and and I'm just being dismissed. And the king perceived the perplexed look on, on the man's face. He said, now let me explain what's going on here. The gardener, nobleman, the gardener gave his giant prize carrot to me. You, have given your beautiful black stallion to yourself. This this is what happens when we give selfishly. It's not a cheerful experience. 
And I'm not saying that because we don't walk away with big things from God. It's not a cheerful experience because it's entirely dependent upon what comes back to us. And sometimes what we get back is not what we want. For the gardener, he could cheerfully give because he loved the king. And because he wanted to do something good for the king, he was able to give cheerfully. He was able to experience this relationship with the king. For this nobleman, I would presume that even if the king had given him his entire, you know, like all of his horses or or some big part of his kingdom, he still wouldn't have been happy. The nobleman wouldn't have been content with that because it wouldn't have been enough. You see, when we give for ourselves, there's this desire inside that always wants more. But when we give for others, we can take joy in just the act of giving. For Jesus, it was a joy for him to give his life on the cross for us, knowing that not everyone would accept. But it didn't matter because he loves us. And it's enough just to give to those you love. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver, some people might misunderstand and look at that and say, well, so, does it, so how does he treat people who are not cheerful givers? Does he not love them? Well, clearly, God loves everyone. We just read about it in John three sixteen. But there's a special experience that takes place for those who give cheerfully. To understand this a little bit better, it might help to know where Paul is getting this phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. How does, God know, how does Paul know that? He's actually quoting a text from the Old Testament, from the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 22, verse 8. But if you go there real quick, chances are you're not going to see this phrase, and I'll tell you why. This phrase is a translation from the Greek Old Testament. Now, about 200 years before Christ, Hellenism, or or Greek expansion, was so popular that young people were starting to speak more and more Greek, so much to the point that they were no longer, the Hebrew young people were no longer speaking Hebrew. And so the leaders got together and said, so our young people can know the Bible. We're going to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. Because Paul here in 2 Corinthians is writing in Greek. Instead of going to the Hebrew scripture, he quotes the Greek scripture called the Septuagint. And the Greek scripture, the, Greek, the, the Septuagint in Proverbs 22, 8, says this phrase, but it actually says it a little bit different. It's very interesting. Literally what it says is, not God loves a cheerful giver. It says, God blesses a cheerful and giving person. Now, that might not seem like that big of a difference, but it actually is quite a significant difference because God loves everyone. He'll love you whether you give or not. He'll love you whether you're angry and don't want to give or you give wholeheartedly. But there's a special blessing that comes to us when we give cheerfully. See, the essence of cheerful giving is giving to others. It's being with Jesus. It's learning from him. It's giving as he gives. And when we give as he gives, we open our heart to a relationship with him. It's not that God doesn't love people who are, un- who are unhappy and give. But when we give cheerfully, we allow God's love into our hearts and we get to experience it. God's love gets through to cheerful givers. That's what it's talking about. If you have felt reluctant about giving, or under compulsion to give. If you know what it's like to say, well, I got some, you know, I received a paycheck, and 
now I, I guess I have to pay tithe and I have to, have to pay some offering. Or, or maybe it's not a reluctance thing. Maybe it's just kind of a mindless habit and your heart's not into it. If you, if you know what it's like to, to not be enthusiastic about giving to others, if you have people who are in need around you, if, if they need your, your service, if they need your listening ear, um, if, if there are, are neighbors that, that are needing your help, people in the congregation that maybe need your encouragement, if there's areas in our church ministry that lack volunteers and, and, and they're needing you to give in some way, if you know what it's like to not want to do that, nominating committee comes around, you're like, oh, please don't call me. Please don't call me. If you know what it's like to not want to give, and you know what it's like to say, okay, I'll do it. I guess I have to. If you know what that's like, I invite you to consider what Jesus has given to you. The teaching of Paul here, God loves a cheerful giver. He is directing us to Christ. He is the ultimate cheerful giver. So let us turn our attention to him. If our motives are not right, God doesn't say, you better figure that out. No, he says, turn your attention to Christ. He is the one that shows us how to give cheerfully. Jesus is the one that inspires cheerful giving. He loves you so much that it was a joy for him to endure the cross. Everything that is good that comes our way is a gift from God. The good-tasting food that you enjoy, the warmth of fellowship that we enjoy, the, the sense of productivity and the good feeling that we get when we do a job well done, all of these things are gifts from God. The joy that you feel when you help someone else out and you use the, the abilities and skills that you have, those are all gifts from God. God is constantly giving good things to you and I. And as we are aware of that, as we are mindful of that, as we look at the good things that he has given to us, it changes our hearts. It inspires us to give. God is a cheerful giver. And when, and when we are with him, when our eyes are directed to him, when we're seeking to join him, we can't help but want to give. And when we do, we welcome the abundance of his love into our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your patience with me and any one of my church family here that has struggled with not wanting to give. Thank you, God, for pointing us to Jesus. Thank you for the abundance that you've given to us. Oh God, may your heart of love change our hearts. Place within us a desire to give as you give. Not to try to get something in return, but to simply be with you. And may your love get through to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.